0: (music) Thank you. your presence that is here this morning, Lord, for every single one of everybody that's watching online. I just pray that your presence will just be really felt and made known as it is here in this building, Lord. I just thank you that you are so faithful to come. I just love you, Lord. And I want to thank the worship team. That was really fun, really good worship. You guys always do an amazing job. Um, yeah, we, Ronnie right, I'm just going to say a teeny bit more about, uh, about the announcements. We, we just got done. We had a little group of just a few people that met on Mondays from 1130 to one. And we just really had a lot of fun. So we're going to take a couple weeks off and then we're going to jump back in. We're going to study the gospel of John for like six weeks and then we'll take the rest of the year off. And then I'm going to see if. Somebody that I know that's sitting in the back row wants to teach something, but I haven't asked him yet, so shh, don't tell him. Um, anyway, so it's gonna be really fun. I'm, I'm excited, but and so if you want to jump in on that Monday morning, 11.30 to one group, if you happen to work swing shift or have Mondays off, you're absolutely welcome to come, and you don't have to come to everyone, just come whenever you want to. But So for six weeks starting on November 8th, uh, it's gonna be fun. I always say things are gonna be fun, but we always have fun. Um. All right. Uh, I'm a member of this mentorship group by that that is led by a guy across the pond. His name is Paul Scanlon, and he. We have this little group, and he puts these little, not not necessarily daily, sometimes it'll be a couple times a day, and sometimes it'll be a couple days. But he just puts these little, like, nuggets out there for you to think about. And I don't know if any of you guys are kind of like, know what I'm talking about when it's like, I love it, but I hate it, because he says stuff that I don't like, or I don't agree with, or I don't know if I believe yet. And so, but it's very like, fun to kind of like let my mind chew on. So I'm going to give you one, and I, and I want to talk about it today because it just has really been impacting my heart for the last few weeks. He, he, he um, put it up like three weeks ago, and I've just been encouraging myself with it so much, and I've been encouraging my friends with it. And, and so I'm like, okay, you guys, you know, this is what I read, or this is what I heard. And they're like, Like, a couple of my friends have just experienced, like, freedom from, like, performance, um, feeling like you need to be perfect to be able to do something. And so here's what it is. God is drawn to movement, not accuracy. God is drawn to movement, not accuracy. And I know that there are some people in the room that value accuracy very highly in, in your heart. You might be saying, I disagree with that, Jen. But I'm going to challenge you to let your mind chew on it for a little bit, and we're going to talk about it, because at first, this is what my reaction was. Well, that can't be right. I w- and I'm not even, like, one of those accuracy, like, driven people. I'm, like, kind of, let's go, let's, let's kind of charge. But, but I love the analytical, you know, things have to be exactly right type of people. I have a lot of them in my life and I value them. I just understand that our minds work differently, right? So when I, I pull up the screen and I'm like, God, God's drawn to movement, not accuracy. I'm like, well, that can't be right, okay? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound like God. It doesn't sound like me. It doesn't sound like a lot of the people that I know. And then I kind of started being like, okay well what if that is true what if what if as I go the Lord is okay if I'm going the wrong direction because he wants to move me and I start like over the last couple weeks like it's really been marinating in my heart and I start thinking of all these examples right like, um, I'm, remembering, I'm remembering I'm sitting in a parking lot trying to, like, putting in my GPS an address and, in a town that I'm not familiar with. Have you guys ever put an address in a GPS and you're in a town that you're not familiar with and it says, go west on Bailey Street? And you're like, where the heck is Bailey Street? What, what how, where's west? I don't know where I am. I'm, like, I'm in a town I have no, how is this even helpful? I'm like, I'm like yelling at Siri. How is this? why are you telling me to turn left at the walmart or whatever like and so but i have to remind myself like oh yeah if i get on the wrong road the gps will just tell me to turn around or tell me to take a left now here and it'll recalculate right everybody everybody has experienced recalculating on the gps right and so and so i start realizing like oh okay if i'm heading east and my car if my car is pointed east and i need to be going west okay how much effort is it going to take me to turn my car around before i start going you know how much a truck weighs like i'm going to have to get up and like get some friends and we're going to have to like if i'm if i won't go until i'm pointed the direction that i know i need to go like how ridiculous is that no one would do that right no one would actually physically get up and move their car around like you would go in the wrong direction and then you would turn around and then you would be going the right direction right like isn't this just ridiculous when you start breaking it down that and so it makes you really it makes me kind of realize like God is trying to movement not accuracy okay and I start going like maybe this is true I mean, It was like a slow whoa but there was like a whoa moment that kind of like came in my heart right as I'm as I'm thinking about this as I'm turning this over in my mind and I don't even know why it's stuck in my head because he posts like a a lot of things but I feel like it was Holy Spirit that was really like drawing me to this one concept that God values movement not accuracy you guys how many times and I'm thinking in my own life okay I'm overwhelmed I don't know what to do so I'm not going to do anything it usually doesn't work out very well for me. Usually if I'm like, ah, oh, I come home after like, this is what a lot of times it's like. I get done with like a 60 or 70 hour work week. I'm tired and my house is a mess and I know I need to clean my house, but instead I call a friend for coffee or I go for a hike or something to avoid it, right? And so, Maybe you guys don't do that, but this is what I do sometimes. I just get overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. I don't even want to deal with this, so I leave, but Just about every time when I have come back, the house is still there and I still have to deal with it, right? And so, it's kind of like you start doing one thing at a time. You just start going. Maybe you start in the bathroom, maybe you start in the kitchen, maybe you start in the living room, whatever. You know, sometimes we have to mind trick ourselves. We have to like sort of, we know ourselves. Like, I know that I'm going to feel better once the living room is done because that way if someone knocks on the door then they won't be able to tell and if they ask to go to the bathroom I'll just tell them the toilet's broken they have to go to the gas station I don't know. <laughs> you know. Like you just start and then when you're done you're just like why did I wait so long? Like that was so ridiculous that wasn't any big deal and, and now we're done. And so I started seeing these examples in my everyday life, right? And so, and so here I am And I'm reading my Bible and I'm starting to see it in scripture. And it's really, it was just so cool. So I start reading and I'm like, Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. We're going to Walmart. No, he didn't say that. He just said, follow me, right? He didn't tell them where they were going. He just said, follow me. And isn't that what he does? There's this one scripture that always drives me nuts because it's like a king wouldn't go to battle without knowing if he could you know, win the war and a builder wouldn't start building if he didn't know that he had enough materials to build. And so we need to count the cost. And I'm always like, okay, I've been following the Lord. Like I've been a Christian since I was 19 and I've been following the Lord. You know, there's a difference for like about 10 years now, nine nine years i think i started coming to this church in like 12 and now it's 21 so coming up on nine ten years and so i'm i'm like where the heck was i going with that <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> oh my i got stuck let's just jump right back in i don't know okay. follow follow the cost. that's what it was yes and i'm just like okay definitely could not have possibly counted the cost when I first started following the Lord. And and those of you guys that have been for a while, and he's taking you some places that you didn't really ask to go, anybody ever, the Lord, take you places where you're like, I didn't ask for this, what are you doing, Lord? No? So, anyway, so I started seeing it in scripture, and I'm going to take you to the story of Abraham, and I'm going to show you that God values movement, not accuracy. And I'm just prepared to have your mind a little bit shifted and how you perceive Abraham? Okay, so here we are. Abraham's story. Most of the time, we consider that it started in Genesis chapter 12, but it really starts at the beginning or that very end of Genesis chapter 11. So here we are gonna. It's like the last couple of verses in Genesis chapter 11. Um, he's going through the genealogy of. Um, Who begat who, and how old they were, and how long they lived, and that type of stuff. A little bit of a boring part, in my opinion. Sorry, there's parts of the Bible that are boring. Anyway, but at the very end, it talks about Abram's dad. Abram's dad's name is Terah, and Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson, Lot, his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, okay? So they started over here in Ur, Terah took his son and Lot and his son's wife and they're on their way to Canaan and we all know that Canaan is the promised land and if you didn't then now you know. But when they came to Haran they settled there. So he was here, he's on his way here, but when he got here he stopped. Terah did. And they, and they kind of plopped down. And then Terah lived 205 years and they died. And he died in Haran, right? So that's the beginning of Abraham. Abraham, his dad takes him and his wife and his, co- his nephew or whatever and they leave. So now we're jumping in. is now dead. This is now the beginning of the story of Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you. And then there's this promise that we read about uh, periodically. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. This is the Lord speaking. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. What a promise that I have the opportunity to partner with what the Lord is doing and he's going to do all the work and everybody on earth is going to be blessed through me, right? So Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Okay, but here it says, the Lord said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. But he didn't do that. He took Lot with him. I never noticed this before, but God values movement, not accuracy. Abraham went, or Abram went, and he didn't do it exactly how the Lord told him to do it, okay? And so Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired at Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there, are you guys seeing this picture? The Lord tells him to do something. I'm going to need you to leave this place and go here. I want you to leave your people, leave your country, and go. He doesn't tell, I mean, he, he kind of knows that he's going to Canaan, right? But he doesn't do it exactly exactly how, how God tells him to do it. And so now there's a famine. And then, and then Abraham, I'm going to go very briefly over the next few chapters because Abraham's life, they actually, the Bible actually goes into quite a, quite a lot of detail about it. So the very next thing that happens is there's a famine, and so he takes his wife down to... Egypt. And he pretends like they're brother and sister and you know, the because he knows that the, his wife is very beautiful and that the king is going to want to have her and that he doesn't want to be killed so that the, the king can have the wife. And so he pretends like he kind of deceives the king and then God has to intervene and say like, hey, leave this lady alone. This is his wife. And the king's like, why did you do this? This is the first of two times that Abraham does this, right? So he's not this like perfect guy. He's not at He's not shooting with a whole lot of accuracy here if you think about it, okay? And so now Abraham, so, so the Lord wraps this whole thing up for Abraham, right? And now chapter 13, Abraham and Lot, Abra- God actually has to separate Abram from Lot in this, in this story, He's like, I told you to go without your people. You took your people, so now we have to, I have to separate you. And so there's this part where they go to Negev and, and Lot and Lot's cattle and all of his people and all of the stuff that he has is getting so large that it can't be it can't occupy the same land as Abraham's because they're both becoming very rich in this process they have a lot of animals it's taking there's only so much pasture land that this many animals can handle and so the so so Abraham and Lot end up separating in this chapter and then then after the Lord deals with the stuff that needs to be dealt with there, chapter 14 is about Abraham rescuing Lot, who shouldn't be there because he should be back in you know, Har- not Haran I think because he wasn't supposed to leave in the first place. But anyway, um, so the so the the Lord kind of like does this thing where he's dealing with Lo- with Abram and the way and the stu- the way that he followed. He's dealing with his heart. He's dealing with his situation. He's dealing with his family. There's. And after he kind of deals with what he needs to to be to deal with, in chapter 15, the Lord starts making covenants now with Abram. He starts, you know, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'm your very great reward. And Abram starts bringing his issues to him. He's like, Lord, I'm childless. And the Lord's like, don't worry about that. I'm going to handle this for you. And then and then Abraham starts making a couple other mistakes. He decides, well, it's been a really long time. God's promise really isn't happening. Him and, him and Sarah decide that um, he's going to sleep with the slave and they're just going to build a, a legacy through him. And so, like, you know, the Lord has a lot of stuff to work out in Abram's life. Are you guys, it, this isn't normal. This is, like, this is like all of us. Like, we mess up. You know what I'm saying? We go the wrong way sometimes. We take the wrong steps sometimes. We misinterpret the direction sometimes. And yet he has a way to deal with all of this stuff as long as we keep moving forward. That is just such a a freeing thing for me where, to where I can really believe God values movement, not accuracy. He's, he can't work, as I was kind of praying this morning, I just felt him just say, like, I can do so much more through a messed up person that is willing to go when I ask them to go than I can somebody that has all of their stuff together but refuses to budge from their place. He, he can do so much more through you if you just respond when he calls, than he can with someone that really has their, like a perfect person. We all know this people that we think are perfect. And, but if that person is refusing to go, if they're refusing to move, he can't do anything through them. And so we want to be a people that are okay with our mess. God is okay with our mess. He's okay with the mistakes that we make. He's not afraid. There's nothing that we can do that is so bad that he can't bring that GPS back around to where to where we are getting to where he wants for us to go. It, it, I mean, if humans can design something that always can recalculate and get us to where the address that we input into that Siri, like, how much more is God able to do that? I mean, if we can design something, isn't that just even, just that humans have done that, isn't that just so cool? Just... That, that we are designed to actually think the way that God thinks. We're designed to relate the way that God wants to relate with us. That we would even design something that no matter what mess up we do, that it will recalculate and get us to where we need to go. That is so cool to me. So here we are. This chapter 16 is dealing with uh, them deciding that Abram's going to have a kid with with uh, Sarah's slave. Um, And so now the Lord has to deal with that. And after that's happened, then, then the Lord, he's continuing to make covenants with Abraham. Chapter 17 is Abraham's 99 years old. And if you read in 17, the Lord brings to him the covenant of circumcision, which is a a lot of Old Testament stuff is called a type or a shadow of a new covenant thing that is that we, curr- we currently live in the new covenant, right? And so this, this circumcision of the, the male in Abraham's day was a type or a shadow of the, what the, the new, I think Paul calls it, the, the circumcision of the heart. That we are, from our hearts going to want to do the things that the Lord asks us to do. Whereas in the Old Testament, and, and this is this covenant that, that Abraham, or that the Lord makes with, the Abra- with Abraham, where there's this outward sign that you have done this thing that says that we're in covenant together. So no longer currently in the covenant that we, we don't have to have an outward sign that we are in covenant with God because there's this circumcision of the heart that happens and our hearts are designed to follow God. Our hearts are designed to commune with him, to be in relationship with him, to be moved by him. Because, and we do it from because we want to, because we love him. Because we trust him, because we build relationship with him, because he tell, he he sings things over our lives, he speaks things over our lives, and we want to partner with that. And so this is this is just it's a it's a weird story. But if you if you. Think of it as like a type or a shadow, like sort of a, a pointing forward of the relationship that we actually get to be with him right now. It's very beautiful. And so he's like, I'm gonna establish my covenant, an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants all after you. For generations to come, I'm gonna be your God and the God of all of your descendants. It's, it's this beautiful covenant that the Lord decide, decides to make with Abraham. And so... You know, we're, he renames him in this chapter, and then you start kind of starting. You kind of start seeing in chapter nine, or chapter 18. There's this moment where the Lord comes down, and he sees this this city that is just just acting. Everybody's usually most people have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, how they were just so so wicked. And if you read the scripture, you'll see that there's this. There's this conversation that happens between Abraham and God where God is is saying like I'm going to judge these people like they're I'm going to have to just destroy this city and and Abraham's like I I know that it's not your heart to to sweep away the righteous with the wicked and so they have this conversation and you know he's like gets him from 50 people down to, I think, 10 people. Like, if I can find 10 righteous people, will you save this city? And and God's like, yes, I will. And so you can see that there's, this isn't a master-slave type of relationship. This isn't a, I'm the commander, and you're the soldier, and you have to do what I say, because look what I've done for you. You know what I mean? It's not like that at all, and God has done a lot. He's made him very rich. He has dealt with all of his mess-ups, and all of his mistakes, and he's still taking him and bringing him alongside and coming alongside and and pulling him and and positioning him to be a blessing for all of the nations to be blessed through him no matter what he does god's like it's okay i can work with that i i can i can handle this and so there's this moment where you start seeing that that there's just a very human-like relationship between between Abraham and God. They can they can talk to each other. They can go back and forth with each other. He can come to him with his with his problems and say, like, Lord, this just doesn't seem like you. Help me understand. And then the Lord's like, okay, well, I, I will talk to you about this. And you start seeing that this is this conversation is one of the ones that makes me realize that, yeah, Abraham was like a, he was a friend of God. He was a, he cared about what the Lord thought. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it, it's just a, it's an interesting, but again, a very beautiful story if you think about it. Abraham pleads for Sodom in that chapter. In 19, we see Sodom and Gomorrah getting destroyed. And then in 20, we see Abraham still messing up, going to kings, being afraid of the kings, worried that he's going to get killed so that the king can have his beautiful wife and God having to clean up that mess too. (laughs) It's just, I mean, I'm skipping super, super far over it. And then chapter 21 And Abraham's story is this story that none of us can relate to, I don't think. It's very hard for me to to relate to this story of the Lord saying, I am testing Abraham. I'm going to ask him to sacrifice his son. And he does it, the kid's like 13 or 16, I think at this point, they're going up. He's telling his slave, uh, just stay here, we're gonna go worship. We're gonna go worship the Lord. And, and just, even that Abraham was able to hear the Lord say, I need you to go and sacrifice your son. And then when he gets in that moment, you can, you can see in, I believe it's still in chapter 21, where, um, oh, tw- chapter 22 actually, where he's got his hand raised and the Lord is like, don't put your hand on him even in like his really hard moments when he's, he's trying to understand why the Lord would ask him to do that, but trusting him anyway. I mean, all of these moments he's hearing from the Lord and he's responding. He's moving forward and he's being guided. You know, he didn't check out and just be like, Lord, you're crazy. I'm going to go do my own thing which a lot of times we we do that stuff. We we want to be the type of people that would hear if the Lord asked us to do something and then would hear if he asked us not to. You know what I mean? Like just being able to to cultivate this relationship with the Lord, to where you're able to be guided, where you're able to be moved, where you're able to put yourself in a position to respond to him. It's um it's this crazy like for me it was just such a a biblical story that proved that God values movement not accuracy and we want to know all of the steps before we go forward we want to know the ending destination we want to we want to know what turns and twists we're going to encounter a lot of times but you know, we really just can't live our lives that way. We can't live our lives needing to know more before we will respond to him. You know, he, if he's asking us to go and we go in the wrong direction, if we misinterpret the direction, if we misinterpret the instruction, if we mess up along the way, if we fall, you know, We can't live in fear of that stuff. We might as well, in my opinion, we might as well just assume that's going to happen, number one, and assume that the Lord can fix it. Number two, like let's just assume that he is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. I mean, what a freeing way for us to live our lives, to free ourselves from, from thinking that we have to do everything perfectly if we want to receive blessing by God. Because I wanted to have you now turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We just went through all of that stuff that the Bible, the same book, records about Abraham's life. And later, in Hebrews chapter 11... God has the thousands of years later, probably 2,500 years later, God has somebody write the history of Abraham in this book. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is a lot of times called the Faith Hall of Fame. It says, tar, tar, it talks about Abraham, it talks about Moses, it talks about Abel, it talks about Enoch, it talks about um, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Rahab and it, t- it just talks about so many people in this hall of fame moment. But Abraham, they talk about probably, there's more words about Abraham than just about any other person. I think any other person. It says, by faith, we're, we're jumping in in chapter 8. Now, the very first, uh, sorry, not chapter 8, chapter 11, verse number 1 defines faith. Okay, Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the the assurance about what we don't yet see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we don't see. And then it just starts, by faith this person did this, by faith this person did this, by faith this person did this. This is what God has somebody, 2,500 years after Abraham walked the earth and it might have even be more than that. I didn't do the math, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to remember from a long time ago when I did know. So starting in verse 8 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go to a place where he would later receive his inheritance, he obeyed and he went. Like we literally just broke down the ways that he didn't obey. But God remembered that he obeyed. God doesn't have to record, well, you kind of obeyed, but I fixed it along the way, so you're still kind of good. Like, No, God credited it to him as if he obeyed. Even though he had to clean up all of these messes, this forward movement was credited to him as faith. It's just so cool. So here we are. He was called, he obeyed, and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as sand on the seashore. And in Romans, I believe it says that, or, you know, it actually might have been earlier than that. It says that you are children of the promise. You are Abraham's children if you believe in Jesus. So you are one of those sand on the seashore, one of those stars in the sky that are being counted still to this day, hundreds of years, hundreds, lots of hundreds, after this book was put together and compiled, right? And so it says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they left, they would have had An opportunity return, but instead they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He's prepared a city for them. And by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. That he was willing to offer Isaac as a sacrifice, even though God stopped him, was credited to him as actually doing it. That's crazy to me. Um, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Doesn't that sound very familiar? That the God who offered for us his one and only son, this, this foreshadowing thing of what happened thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth. Even though God said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that even God could raise the dead. Oh, that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the the death, from death. That is how God wrote Abraham's story. That is how God is asking for us to remember Abraham. And this is before Jesus. You know, for ourselves, we get to receive the same thing from God. He's asking for us to remember ourselves, to remember our pasts as dealt with and taken care of. That Jesus paid for everything and that he who knew no sin became our sin so that we could be the righteousness of God, this exchange. He's he's not asking us to remember every single one of our mistakes and everything that he's had to, every jam that he's had to get us out of, right? He's not asking us to remember that. But there is somebody that wants for us to remember that, and it's the one that comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There is somebody that wants for you to remember your past and every bad thing you've ever done, but it's not God. God, just like he wants, he will just like he rewrote the history of Abraham, leaving out all of the bad stuff and only leaving in the good stuff and in fact, crediting to him stuff that he didn't even do, that is the same God that wants to rewrite your history and actually is rewriting it right now. Because we, don't we all mess up? You know, I've been saved since I was 19, so 25 years almost, and he's still rewriting my story. Every time I'm, I'm obedient to him, he's rewriting that. Every time I mess up and I come back to him, he rewrites it. You know, every single time he's so faithful. He's not like, Jen, you only get 100,000 mess ups and then I'm going to be done. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You only get 10 million mess ups, Peggy. I mean, wouldn't that be so generous if the Lord was like, you only get 10 million mess ups, guys, and then I'm going to be done rescuing you. But he doesn't give a, a one single limit to any of us, to how many mess-ups he is willing to that Jesus would pay for. Does that make sense? I mean, how amazing is that? How amazing are you, God? But you know what? It comes with a cost. Sometimes the call of God doesn't actually fit in our lives. We don't just get to go along however we want and be like, Lord, I hope you're coming with me today. No, he's like, follow me. And we get to have the opportunity to choose whether or not we are going to do that. And, he, and, and so he doesn't, he, sometimes the call of God doesn't fit into our life. Sometimes he's actually calling you out of your life and into his life. And sometimes we have messed up our lives so bad that we actually want, Lord, rescue me out of my life. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Lord, rescue me out of my life. I'm messing it up real bad. Sometimes, some of you guys can't relate to that, but I know that some of you can. But you know what? He values movement, not accuracy. And he can do so much more through a messed up person that is willing to go when he says go, than he can with a perfect person who won't budge. And so I just want to ask you guys to have more faith in God than you have in your Siri. I want to. I want to ask you to have more faith in God than you do in your GPS system, your global positioning system. Just replace that with it's a God positioning system. He will position you if you will take that turn. And if you take that that left turn and you were supposed to take a right turn, he'll <laughs> recalculate for you. You know what I'm saying? But if Bugs Bunny has had his had had his God positioning. system on, it wouldn't matter if he took the left turn or the right turn at Albuquerque. He would have still found himself where he was supposed to be. So um, I'm going to have you guys stand and I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you. And I want to remind you that the one, you know, Jesus, he said, follow me. He didn't even say, leave this place and go that place. He just said, follow me. And he didn't tell a single one of them where they were going that I can find in the Bible. He just said, follow me. And I believe that he understood that there would be some that would believe that he was enough and would be willing to lay down their lives to pick up his. And he probably knew that three and a half years later he was gonna die, but you know what? 11 of those 12 people were literally called turning the world upside down just a few months after his death. And so, Lord, I just want to break the power of perfection and worry off of every single one of us in every single area of our lives, any place where we are paralyzed with fear and not moving, Lord, I just pray that you will come in and you will give us encouragement, that you will remind us of this word that you gave Paul Scanlon, this dude in England, far, far, thousands of, far, of, of miles away from us, that you are drawn to movement, not accuracy that if we will follow you, whatever that looks like for us, that you will take care of the rest. If we will respond to you, if we will go straight when you're asking for us to go straight, turn to the left or the, or the right when you're asking us to. But even in our mess ups, that you will clean that stuff up, that you will figure it out and that you will keep going, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, you will never abandon us, that you have not placed a limit on how many times we can mess up, but that your son was enough to cover every single one of our mess ups that we have ever done and every one that we will ever do. And we thank you, Lord. I just want to break off the this thought that you have to know what the next step is. I pray that you'll that each one of us will get into Scripture, that we will start really getting to know your nature and seeing how you interact with people, seeing the ways that you show us that you love us. And I think it's Psalm 118, 105 that says that your word is a lamp, unto our feet and a light in our path. That we would, as we go, as we, as we walk with our feet, as we go down a path, that we will not be afraid because we know that you are leading, that you are guiding, that you are lighting exactly as much as we need, not always how much we want. So break off any form of worry, being worried about Perfection. Break off any form of, of anything that's holding us back from moving closer to you, both as individuals and as a, as a church body. I just thank you, Lord, for, your, for what you're doing through us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your spirit. The mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.